Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The UAW seems to have a deal. We're talking Stellantis, Ford, and now General Motors. Everybody coming to some level of agreement, although I'll, I'll, I'll wait for the uh, I'll wait for the signed uh, paperwork. Thank you very much. They're going to come together, and they're going to say, all right, we are good to go. The strike being over after 46 days. The devil in the details. Although some workers are going to make up to $42 an hour. It is fascinating to see that Sean Fain, the head of the UAW, who I think has just been a yutz, the strategy may have worked. I wasn't expecting the deal to come, but you never know what's happening underneath. And it may not be him. It may really be these negotiators who are uh, who are doing the, the 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 hard work. The tentative agreement not only increases pay, but increases pay for those who just start. Um, that makes perfect sense to me. You want you want to be able to be more attractive for, for, for people to get into the business, if you will. So that they will, you'll have more people. You had, you're going to have a hard time attracting people to building cars when you could just, you know, have an account on TikTok. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Were they able to get, uh, according to this, uh, 25% pay increases by April of 2028? Raises the top pay to about $42 an hour. You're also going to have cost of living increases. Who knew that was actually going to be in there? I said there was no way that was coming. The union had asked for a 40% pay increase. Ford, GM, and Stellantis were offering 23% pay increases. It got to 25 So did they get everything they asked for? No, but were they asking the moon to get something else? The answer is, of course, uh, yes, they did. As a matter of comparison, as put together by Business Insider, union workers saw pay increases of 23% between 2001 and 2022, and now they'll see it between basically 2023 and 2028. Yeah, that's a fair amount of coin. Uh, and I also um, only hope that you uh, enjoy paying more for a vehicle. Because one has to assume you're going to pay more for a vehicle. The agreement, according to this, uh, gives the UAW a chance to represent uh, workers at non-union plants. And that means Tesla. That means Tesla. And that is going to be interesting to watch. Because it doesn't matter if you unionize Tesla. You got to have people who want to buy the cars. Look, I do, uh, I, 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 do uh, I have a sponsor for my morning show. 
great, great Ford dealer here in Indianapolis. And they have electric vehicles. They've got the Mach-E and they've got the, the, the Ford Lightning, right? The, 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 the pickup. I don't mind that they have these vehicles. I don't mind that they want to sell them. I think that's, they, they built them. They're solid. Go ahead, have one. Being forced into them is something different. And what we're seeing is that there's just, there's real worry because there's not a demand for these vehicles. That's up to these manufacturers to figure out how they're going to sell them. That's what that is. They got to figure that out. But there's going to be a glut on the market. But the UAW seems to have a deal. And now I hope we can put this all behind all of us and get into some other things. What is the strategy for Israel in Gaza? If you missed it, my conversation with Major Mike Lyons up next. This is Tony Katz today. We've been continuously speaking to and to their attorney on this show, Abudo Call. He and his wife are trapped there with their one-year-old. And he told us last week that he got a letter, a notification email from the State Department, but it had no updated content in terms of a way to get out. Are the demands being made by Hamas, are any of them achievable at this point? Should they have hope? We believe that there will be a way to get those Americans out. We'd like to do that today if we could. I don't I don't know how close we are. We believe there's a way to do this. We just have to work at it and we're going to and we're going to continue to do that. The question is, are they further away now that Israel has taken parts of Gaza, that they've started to hit the tunnels and they indeed have taken the main road between the north and the south of Gaza? acting as a choke point. I am not opposed to any of these maneuvers by Israel. I'm asking the question. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Major Mike Lyons joins us right now. Retired United States Army, West Point a graduate, military analyst all across your dial, all across your television screens, and our guy uh, over here. Let's start with the basics. There was no doubt that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was not going to listen to any conversation regarding ceasefire. There's no doubt based on people I know within Israel and certainly outside conversations that Israel is about to listen to a conversation about ceasefire. That is a conversation for the political left in America and the Jew haters uh, across the globe. Now Israel, after three weeks, has started to make this incursion. A, why did it take so long? And now the follow-up, give us an idea of where they are, what they've taken, what the strategy is. So, Tony, uh, Israel is fighting this 100% on their terms. They're not fighting it the way David Petraeus wants to fight it. They're not fighting it the way CNN wants them to fight it. They're not fighting it the way, I, I don't know, pick your, your, your American, you know, liberal or conservative organization wanted to find it. They thought they were going to line 20,000 troops up along the border, go in heavy, create lots of damage, and 72 hours it would all be done, and we'll all go back to everything else that we've been doing. That, that, that is not what's happening here. For the past 25 days, they've been conducting an air campaign that's been surgical, and they are completely destroying infrastructure inside the northern city of Gaza. And only in the last few days have they gone in in ground incursions and raids, and they're going in in very small units, uh, protecting their forces with tanks. And they're going after the tunnels, and they're doing it tunnel at a time and building at a time. They're, they are 
they're of course concerned about civilian casualties. Then I'm not saying they're not, you know, they're committing war crimes against an enemy that commits war crimes every day. We're we're like we're arguing over, you know, kind of what's going on here. But they're fighting for their existence. And when you fight for your existence, you're going to have disproportionality when it comes to contact and conflict. And there's going to be civilian casualties. So from this point, from my perspective, from what Israel is doing, they have shut out the rest of the world, and they are not going to stop until Hamas's military capability is completely destroyed. So we know a, a, a couple of things, and, and I, I, I agree with you there. They're going to fight uh, on their terms. But talk to me uh, about how they have entered Gaza, and was this what you were expecting, or is this surprising to you? So they, they, they've entered in three locations, two from the north, one close to the coastline with, again, smaller units. They've only egressed in about Three kilometers, you know, kilometers. It's not a lot, not a lot of great distance. And in the south, they had a, a spot where they're trying to cut off basically anybody that's going to escape to the south of Gaza. Right? You look at a map. You know, Israel is allowing safe passage for any civilian that can get there, and they're they're not. It doesn't look like they're going to have a lot of activity going on in the southern port, portion of Gaza, waiting for the Egyptians and anybody else that wants to come in and help out. But you know, like I said, the Egyptians knocked the wall down to get some trucks across. They can't build the wall up fast enough. Uh, when when that's through, so you know, there, no one's getting. The Lebanese are getting no help from any of these other Arab countries as well. But no, I, I'm not surprised. And they're going to go slowly, and they're going to um, again target these tunnels. They're going to flip this thing on its head. They're going to say, okay, you want to if you if you want to use these tunnels, we're not going to chase you down these tunnels. We're just going to destroy them and blow them up and crater them and the like. Now that does have a downside. It has a downside when it comes to the hostages. But I think that's why they're going slowly. They're trying to gather intelligence and gather information and, you know, do the best they can. The, the person that was rescued yesterday was wandering around Gaza. Obviously, somehow it had escaped. We don't really know the whole story, but it was not a situation where she was released or anything like that. Talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. We read yesterday that there is a major street that goes to the center of Gaza, literally from the north uh, to the south. I believe it is Salah Eddin Street. Mm-hmm. And that Israel has gained control of this in a certain area, which would really separate the north from the south, allowing them to take uh, Gaza City uh, mm-hmm. and and slowly work their way through it. Is the plan from Israel, as you know it, to then release northern Gaza back to the quote-unquote Palestinians? Or is there about to be a change in geography? No, so I, I don't know. I don't think they know either. I, I don't think Israel knows what's next. You know, that's the, again the question David Petraeus and everybody keeps asking them, and everyone is so concerned about. And that's when you're in the United States and you're concerned about going into another country and blowing it up and then figuring out what's next. It, this is Israel's home. This is their existence. So I don't think they care about what's next. Um, they're going to try to find people that are going to lead the Palestinians in, in northern part of Gaza, but that's only after the military capability has been destroyed. So I think that's where their focus is going to be. This, they've said, you've heard um, Netanyahu and you've heard Israeli spokesmen say that their center of gravity is there in Gaza City. So that's where they're going to focus on. And, it, and this is going to still take, I think, months. We're, not, we're still a long ways away from whether or not that, you know, that, that's going to get controlled back over to some group of people. But it's not happening until Israel is completely assured that there's no military capability in that part of Gaza. Let's 
uh, now go into uh, what, uh, not necessarily what comes next, where else are we looking? If we look at the map of Gaza, we've seen, uh, as you said, these entry points, you're talking about entry points coming from the Mediterranean. You talk about the tunnels, and you talk about the objective is not to search them, but to destroy them, and the issue being, of course, hostages that are in the tunnels. Talk about the complexity of this tunnel system, the ability to have created it in the first place, and the and and a task ahead uh, to to what advantage does Israel gain and what is uh, the possible damage being done so we're seeing tactics like for example smoke sending smoke into a tunnel entrance with the place where they know it begins and then looking to see where the smoke comes out of and to try to find another point and then determining the extent and the length of that they don't have the technology they don't have things um, that, that they would like to have in order to make them safe. But they're also not going to send IDF soldiers down these tunnels to go look for the situation to walk into booby traps. They're just not going to pl- they're not going to fight that fight, which is, again, what Hamas thought they were going to do. And they're, they're not going to do that. Um, the tunnel system is very complex. They're, they're underneath hospitals and, and civilian buildings and the like. And it will, there's an implied task that a lot of that infrastructure will be destroyed on the top. So, so Hamas wants to drag Israel down to its level and try to fight it there. Israel's not going to go there. They're just going to surround and, and, and cave it in, basically, on who's ever there. Now, again, that's going to mean other casualties, but Israel's willing to you know, take that risk. The risk that Israel also takes is one from Iran. We know that the USS carrier group Gerald R. Ford, we know that the carrier group Eisenhower is in uh, the, the, the Mediterranean. You have a, a destroyer name eludes me uh, on, on the other side. Uh, what is the saber rattling from Iran now, considering just a week ago there they were at the United Nations basically threatening the United States and Israel? So, and this is where the fuse gets lit and it gets worse if um, the Israelis feel that they must attack into Iran disproportionately in order to stop them from supporting Hamas and other militia fighters that, are, that Iran has sent after them. So Iran has used these proxies to, to wage this war. Um, and uh, the question is whether Israel is going to decide to launch some kind of attack into Iran. I, th- I think that's a potential outcome. Maybe it's six months from now. Maybe it's a year from now. Um, but at some point, Iran is undeterred, and they're undeterred by us because we don't respond, you know, disproportionately. They, Iran's killed more U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Afghanistan in the past 20 years than the enemy has. Iran. Uh, is now killing our soldiers and damaging them and hurting them in places like Syria with their proxies. And what do we do? We we respond by hitting a logistical base. I, again, they've got to be deterred with a greater disproportional response, if that at all, especially against us as a bigger power. But if we continue to just play this kind of tit-for-tat game, this lather-rinse-repeat game, Iran's behavior is not going to change. What's it going to cause to change the Iranians' behavior? Um, Israel might have to soon find out to see what it's going to take. Well, what that's going to take is is not so much uh, the the question. It, it's it's a question of whether or not the United States and other nations are actually going to be behind Israel in their ability to put an end to the Hamas threat, which has been going on for years and, with all due respect, should have been ended years ago. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing from that international pressure? Is it all on Israel, or will that turn? towards Iran and other players like Russia and China. So 
So I, yeah, I don't see Israel succumbing to that pressure. The question is, what does the United States do for the rest of the world? What side are we actually going to come down on here? Because it's clear. I mean, it is a bright line between good versus evil. And, and to watch people say that, you know, Hamas can't be defeated because it's an ideology. It's like, well, tell that to the United States and the, and the powers back during World War II when the Nazis were an ideology. It's all about military capability and their, and their equipment. Israel needs allies. And, and to, to keep their eye on the ball, to try to gain other allies in the Abrams Accords and, and Saudi Arabia and the like, because at 50,000 feet, this is potentially a Shia-Sunni divide there as well. They need allies. And if they, could, if they can gather them, they'll be in great shape. But, I, you know, what, what, what Iran has figured out is that the Arab nations won't um, get together, and they haven't got together in history in order to take Israel out. You know, the Egyptians, the Syrians, the, the, the Jordanians, that they weren't able to do that in two wars. But what, what Iran's betting on is that these militia groups, this kind of a thousand cuts is going to do it. Um, Israel's not going to fight that battle. They're going to take it right to Iran if they have to. And that's going to mean a, a wider global scale regional war. You had put, uh, if you want to follow Major Mike Lyons, you go uh, to the uh, Twitter Xbox there, M-A-J for Major Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. Just as a follow-up on what you just stated, I am gobsmacked, you wrote, by some of the analysts who are confident Ukraine could defeat Russia and is winning that war, but don't believe Israel can defeat Hamas because it's an ideology and they have thousands of fighters. You just brought this up. Um, can you expand on that? Sure. I mean, what, what makes one, from a military perspective, thinks that you know you can't accomplish what you want to do from a foreign policy the same in the same direction? We have we have people that believe that the Iranians are winning. Um, that, or, I'm sorry, that the Ukrainians are winning and defeating Russia, an industrial power five times its strength. They're just they're holding their own, I and mean, we, we want to support them, obviously, and we don't want to see them lose and, and see them. But they're not vanquishing Russia anytime soon. But the same mentality can be brought to this fight that Israel is doing with an existential threat. They're not stopping, and and and, and these these comments about pausing and ceasefires and, and everything and the like is just it, it might, it's mind-boggling to me when you hear a military person say that um, you know they're not going to be able to, to get the, rid of this ideology because um, they've got thousands of fighters I just was okay they're gonna they're gonna fight every last one of them and they're going to they're gonna take you know from a military perspective they're gonna take control of that geography whether um, the rest of the world likes it or not that's gonna happen it sits right in their backyard this is again not like the United States coming to Iraq mixing things up and then leaving uh, this is this is they're there this is their home it's a home you know game for them so i'm just really surprised that people have not people think that we're going to have the lather rinse repeat and israel's going to stop here uh, they're not stopping for two seconds before I, I let you go let's get to the to the horror uh, situation of it militarily what is for iran a point of entry certainly if they see the united states there on the uh in, in the mediterranean that could give them pause and some people wonder whether that's for a deterrence to iran or deterrence to others or maybe a deterrence to israel itself everyone's got their own uh un unique point point of view there and, and some mm -hmm. of it i i don't buy into there's a question of pressure that is is put, maybe possible more pressure on Russia and or China to get Iran not to engage. But is there a, is there a tipping point that is known that people like yourself look at that would say, okay, this is Iran's entry because they figure if it's about the elimination of Israel, which is the goal for these these so-called civilizations. 
uh, there become there comes a, a now or never point, even if they were to try it at five years from now. Is there is there a point? I don't see Iran overtly entering. No, because they don't have to. Because they've been they've gotten away for forty years by doing what they've been doing, and the world lets them get away with it. So it's going to take another kind of deterrence. It's going to take a disproportional response to Iran for something that they do, that, that they know they do. So, you know, they decide to attack U.S. forces again. We should put their entire Navy at the bottom of the Persian Gulf, not, not just one ship, not just, you know, we should just decide that's it. There should be, if we're going to create a deterrence for them, it's going to be something that's going to be disproportional, and it's going to be, it's going to be completely to the point where they understand that uh, we're not kidding anymore, and it's got, they've got to change their behavior. And until that happens, uh, Iran's going to just continue to go along this path because they get away with it. They get away with it because the rest of the world lets them get away with it. Just watch the United Nations. Just watch that we can't even get countries to agree what Hamas did was bad. And if this is, again, if this is not a bigger bright line issue right now in our lifetimes, I'm not so sure what is. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Follow him on the Twitter X, M-A-J, M-A-J, Mike Lyons, L-Y-O-N-S. I appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk again soon. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Once again, we're sending the wrong message to the world. And I always go back to the fact that, unfortunately, in this country, the, uh, the socialist forces have penetrated the Democratic Party. There are many noble people within the Democratic Party that I serve with in Congress. But there is 50 percent of that conference, that the Democratic conference, that has been penetrated by you, what you call, what they call, democratic socialism. There is no, nothing democratic about socialism. Socialism <coughs> is Marxism or it's the neo-Marxists, the way I call them. And that is what infiltrates the people that are around President Biden. And those are the ones who are not sending a clear signal that we stand next to the guy, meaning Israel, the only democratically elected government in the region, surrounded by pretty bad enemies and and someone who did not attack anyone but was attacked. So you see, the the values are reversed because if you are socialist, you're anti-Semitic. Now, people have real objection to that, what Congresswoman Maria Salazar just said. She's correct. The democratic socialists aren't democratic. They're commies. And of course they hate Jews because what they hate is anything that isn't them. The blaming of Jews is a standard. And then uh, they'll get into destroying the West. Democratic socialists. Does it matter that Bernie calls himself that? Bernie's wrong. Let's be clear that Bernie Sanders is wrong. Bernie Sanders, well, he's Jewish. He can't be. Yeah, yeah, he can. Of course he can be wrong. What, you haven't met people who will destroy themselves? Of course he's wrong. Of course he sides with people who want to destroy him. The only person who doesn't know this is Bernie because he's made too much money from it. Three houses. It's been profitable for him. He has been this guy his entire life. He is the guy who said this regarding breadlines 
that they're good things. Who in the world says such a thing? You know, it's funny. Sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. Do you know how absolutely blinded by rea- by uh, your, your hatred of reality you have to be to make that statement? Now you ask me, this was, that was a statement he made years ago in favor of bread lines. What's, what's a, a more valuable? You wait in line in bread or bread waits on a shelf for you. What's more valuable? You show up to a supermarket, you get to the bread section, and you stand there with your hands on your hips, and you go, huh, what am I going to get today? Sourdough? Hmm. Maybe a rye? Hmm. Uh, just some simple white? Ah, uh, wheat's healthy? Oh, oh, look, that's Italian. Hmm. Hawaiian rolls? Yes, please. Because everyone says yes to Hawaiian rolls. What's better? That or you wait online, and then when it's your turn, they say, we no bread today. Try again tomorrow. Line start over there. Already 42,000 people online. Best of luck. Toilet paper line start next Tuesday. That, by the way, is my old-timey Russian accent. Uh, I, am, I am the Frank Caliendo of my generation. Which is funny, because I used to be the rich little of my generation, but then the generations, they changed. Which one's better? No rational person wants a bread line. You have to be as ignorant as all get out in order to make that statement. So it doesn't surprise me that Bernie Sanders doesn't recognize the Jew haters in his midst. There's, it, 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 it's, it's obvious. Just like we see over at Columbia University, a hundred professors signing a letter defending students who support Hamas. They support the military action. Demanding the administration protect demonstrators from the efforts of those trying to dox Colombia's leading anti-Semites. Now, I'm not a fan of, of, of doxing at all. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to hire these, these, these Jew haters. But then again, it'll be easier for me because I don't hire people who use pronouns. If you tell me on, on LinkedIn what your pronouns are, I'm, I am absolutely not hiring you. That is such an egomaniacal thing to do. It's nuts. Stop thinking that your pronouns are more important than the job you would do to build the company, the skills that you bring. I don't care about your pronouns. Why do you care about me caring about your pronouns? You're focused on the wrong thing. But you've got 100 professors. As scholars. Ha! Who are committed, this is what they wrote, as scholars who are committed to robust inquiry about the most challenging matters of our time, we feel compelled to respond to those who label our students anti-Semitic if they express empathy for the lives and dignity of Palestinians and or if they signed a student-written statement that situated the military action begun on um, October 7th within the larger context of the occupation of Palestine by Israel. So what you have is Jew haters in the, uh, as the professors covering for the Jew haters that they're raising. That's what you have. And then you have students at Columbia who are like, we're Jewish students and we don't feel safe. 
Why the hell did you go to Columbia? Now, for clarity, I believe you should feel safe everywhere. But you didn't understand that Columbia hates you? I say this knowing that I know people in this boat and unworried as the day is long. If you're Jewish and send your Jewish kid to Columbia, you're out of your damn mind. You should be embarrassed, ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed. You send your kid to Cal Berkeley? What are you, insane? University of Wisconsin-Madison? NYU? You send them to these progressive hate factories, and then you're amazed that they're anti-Semites? What next? You'll be amazed that they're anti-Western civilization? That they're anti-capitalism? It's all so incredibly shocking. I know. Except it's completely predictable if you had opened your eyes for half a second. If you had opened your eyes for half a second, 20 Jewish students from Columbia and Barnard spoke to denounce the university's inaction against anti-Semitism. You got 100 professors supporting the Jew haters on campus. You got 20 Jews. Good God almighty. The inability to stand up for oneself the inability, the unwillingness to fight. But picture what it is that moves and matters to them. At University of Berkeley, Cal Berkeley, I should say, UC Berkeley, students there are threatening a hunger strike. This is from a a local KQED, uh, kqed.org. UC Berkeley students, they have been staging a protest. It's been going on for months demanding that the university bring back a uh, professor who is Spanish and Portuguese. Her name is Yvonne De- Del Valle, V-A-L-L-E. I think it's pronounced Del Valle. She's a mentor. She's a leading, leading scholar at the school. Besides, the school does not have a large Latinx faculty. They actually use in the article Latinx. Now, you know and I know anybody using Latinx, uh, you know, instead of Latino or Latina, Latinx, uh, these are people who want brownie points from fools. They're not serious folk. According to a second-year Berkeley student, she's not just any faculty member. She's a top expert in colonial studies. The question that haunts me is, if someone as respected as her is going through such things at Berkeley, what might the future be for the rest of us? Well, one should ask why this uh, teacher, this professor, has been suspended by the university. Thinking, being suspended by Cal Berkeley, you must have done something wrong. Uh, One would assume uh, being a conservative. Nope, that's not it. According to KQED... Over three investigations, which looked at the behavior that began in 2018 and continued through 2022, the university found that Del Valle had repeatedly, and I'm quoting here through these uh, uh, KQED website, had repeatedly harassed, stalked, and retaliated against Joshua Clover, an English and comparative literature professor at UC Davis, and then violated orders not to contact him. Now, the students say that Del Valle was acting out of desperation, believing she is actually the victim of harassment and online stalking. 
they're going to try and disrupt a uh, Cal football game. We want Yvonne back. We're not going to be silent anymore. And if she's not reinstated, a group of students plans to stage a hunger strike. In an interview, this professor acknowledged behavior in the reports, including keying Clover's car, vandalizing the area outside his apartment door, contacting his friends, posting an image of his partner online, and leaving messages outside the home of his mother's. Of his mother, and the messages included one that said, I raised a psychopath. This is the teacher that the students want back because she's Latino. No, I'm sorry, Latinx. Nope, Latino. And uh, she's uh, she's uh, really an expert on colonial studies. The students should be told to shut the hell up. You are the Dumbest group of people we've ever brought to Berkeley. This is embarrassing. You'll take a stalker and pretend she didn't stalk because you can't bring yourself to note that a Latina woman might do something wrong. This is, of course, what we're talking about. We're discussing the idea that for people who are ideological, they can't accept the fact that people like them might do something wrong. I've been Jewish my whole life. I have met some lousy Jews. I've met some great Jews. I have met some lousy Christians. I have met some exceptional Christians. I have met some lousy black people, and I have met exceptional black people. Same thing with gay people. Same thing with Hispanic people. Same thing with Asian people. And if we're honest and not freaks about race or religion or sexual orientation getting too scared to say anything for fear we're going to get fired, (laughs) screw that. There are two sides to the bell curve. You meet good people, you meet lousy people, you meet sometimes mostly people in the middle just meh. They're nice, or whatever, meh. But when you're ideological, you lie to yourself. You purposefully lie to yourself that anything that would show that they're not a great person is clear proof of the abuses against them and the hate put towards them. Just like these people who want to talk about white privilege and white fragility, anything you say is proof of your guilt. Anything. Anything you say is proof of your guilt. Anything that you bring up about this professor is proof of your bigotry. And this is what the professors have raised. This is what the administrations have allowed. Uh, Am I disgusted by the students? Absolutely. I'm more disgusted by the parents I, 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 I I, I'm more disgusted by the parents who send their kids, who hate their kids so much that they'll see the bigotry at Columbia and then write the check for next semester. Let me say it again. You hate your kids if you do that. Columbia, Berkeley, Wisconsin, Madison, you hate your children if you keep writing that check. But the system is broken. 
because the student is never told that they're wrong. The student is only wrong if they don't buy in. And then they are excommunicated. But if they live silently, never expressing themselves, then they can stay. We talk about how the school system in America, the K-12, through needs to be changed. The university system does too. And it starts with starving the bad universities. The donors not giving, that's the way to go. Not sending your kids, that's the way to go. And when the political right gains control of the White House, put an end to these student visas that allow students from China and other places to attend. No more full-ride paying people to these universities. Make them compete. I look forward to that. I'm Tony Katz. All right. Halloween is here. And I don't know about where you are, but here in Indiana, man, the weather sucks. And the sun was shining earlier. You're like, maybe, maybe. Nope. It's bad. You like to sit outside and you like to throw candy at the children really hard. Just me. And uh, it's going to be rough. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Uh, but, you know, some people, they take the Halloweening a bit too far and they, they, they like to really try and scare people and they dress up like the creepy clown. And I just, I thought it was a good time to pull out the public service announcements really to, to try and get people not to do this. Don't go down this road. You don't want to be the creepy clown trying to scare people. Here, listen. And now, a public service announcement for anyone who's thinking of dressing like a creepy clown this Halloween. I'll rip out your eyes and piss on your brain. This has been a public service announcement for anyone thinking of dressing like a creepy clown this Halloween. So, you see, we're just trying to be helpful, Producer Jason. You get my point? You, you see what we're doing here? All about it, Tony. Right? It's, it's, it's very important. Here, let me, let me get you another one, just in case uh, that one didn't really hit all the feels. Maybe this will help. And now, a public service announcement for anyone who's thinking of dressing like a creepy clown this Halloween. I know where you live, and I've seen where you sleep. I swear to everything holy that your mothers will cry when they see what I've done to you. This has been a public service announcement for anyone thinking of dressing like a creepy clown this Halloween. Yeah, I think that one really kind of cuts to the cuts to the core uh, uh, there. Here, let me let me just get you one more really, really, really quickly. Maybe we'll just do this to really drive it home. And now, a public service announcement for anyone who's thinking of dressing like a creepy clown this Halloween. I'm gonna scissor kick you in the back of the head. I'm ten years old, but I'll beat your ass. I'm gonna come at you like a spider monkey. This has been a public service announcement for anyone thinking of dressing like a creepy clown this Halloween. Yeah, have a good, safe Halloween. I think we made our point. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.